We are still in our wilderness series, Wilderness Time, Freedom People. Uh, this week and next week uh, will be the final installments of our wilderness series as we explore uh, the Israelites' journey through the wilderness and how uh, their uh, journey through that time may inform our own. Uh, our scripture reading for this morning, we have moved out of uh, out of, um, of Exodus and into Numbers. Um, and so we are in Numbers chapter 20, verses 1 to 13. Uh, let us hear uh, the word of the Lord for us this morning. The Israelites, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh. Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation. So they gathered together against Moses and against Aaron. The people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had died when our kindred died before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness for us and our livestock to die here? Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to bring us to this wretched place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went away from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting. They fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation. You and your brother Aaron command the rock before their eyes to yield its water. Thus you shall bring water out of the rock for them. Thus you shall provide drink for the congregation and their livestock. So Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he had commanded him. Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Listen, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me to show my holiness before the eyes of the Israelites, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and by which he showed his holiness. Here ends the reading from God's holy word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. God, as we gather around your word, we pray for the gift of your spirit, that it would be present to us, that it would give meaning and purpose to the words that are spoken, that it would touch the hearts and minds of those who would hear it, that we would be renewed and strengthened for not only on this day, but for the days that are to come. We ask these our prayers in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen. Uh, those of us with school-age kids, we're three or so weeks into school. Uh, my nieces started kindergarten this year. Uh, they go uh, to the school itself two days a week. Uh, there are fewer than 10 kids in their classroom. Uh, they wear masks all day. They eat lunch at their desks. Uh, they play at the centers that fill a kindergarten room by themselves without other friends. The rest of the week, they're learning online, sitting in front of a computer behind Chromebooks, practicing their handwriting or doing the other stuff that kindergartners do. And they do all that in what used to be the guest room in their house. Now it has a desk and a map of the world on the, on the wall, uh, sort of makeshift classroom. It's not at all uh, how you would 
have kids to start school. My sister uh, <clears throat> took them on the first day of school, and she wasn't able to walk them in the building. In fact, she's never been <clears throat> inside the school building where her kids are going uh, two days a week. She's never met the teacher face-to-face. None of this is stuff that we would choose if we were given the opportunity to choose. But they love it. My nieces, they love it. Uh, They get in the car in the afternoons uh, when my sister picks them up talking about what great days they had and how awesome things were and what friends they're making. And uh, this week, my sister sent me videos of them playing school in the living room and impersonating the teacher and giving orders to imaginary kids who were following them around. Uh, it's, It's in no sense what kindergarten normally is or what we think kindergarten should normally be. But then what do they know about what kindergarten should normally be? They've never been, never been to a public school in their lives. For for them, uh, everything is great. Contrast them, my nieces, with my kids who are in a classroom with just a few other kids uh, whose parents also work in the school. And this seemed to us like a great alternative, like the best possible uh, solution for us. Uh, They're at the school, but with just a few kids. Uh, They're missing uh, the interaction with their peers. Uh, Even in this scenario, they're missing having a teacher that's in the room with them. They're missing the rhythms of a school day that they have learned over the years of going to school. Contrast my nieces with our college students who, um, especially the freshmen, uh, who have been uh, looking forward to and watching their friends and their peers go off to campuses over the last few years and looking forward to the experience of being on their own uh, and being to themselves, uh, of meeting new people, of discovering new places, learning about a new community, learning about themselves in new ways. And now they're having to return home uh, or or, uh, no better, having to sit in a dorm room by themselves, uh, learning online and cut off from uh, all semblance of campus life, which is so important to the college experience. And so the difference between all of them, of course, is your frame of reference. Uh, Where you're coming from, what you have to compare your current experience to. If you have a sense of what life before this wilderness was like, uh, you're more apt to feel its losses. And my nieces, by contrast, um, they're as happy as they can be in an environment that none of the rest of us would call normal because they don't know any different. But prolonged exposure to the loss of of, of basic things, things that you once took for granted. Uh, There aren't many of us who have a frame of reference for a kind of bodily deprivation, prolonged experience to uh, our normal comforts of food and water and a safe place to live and and those types of things. But we are beginning to experience uh, prolonged loss of uh, mental and emotional uh, things that we depend on. We're in the midst of it. Um, We're living in a time of profound trauma, uh, and that trauma is more pronounced for some than for others, but we're living in this time of profound trauma, and we're trying to understand and manage that trauma while it's happening. I don't know about you, but I've now developed a physical recoil to the proximity of another human body. That is, when another human being comes near me, I instinctively step away. What is it doing to us psychologically, walking through the world and seeing everyone around us as a danger to our personal safety? 
How is it that we've lost so many cultural staples and, and some of them, you know, they, they seem somewhat silly, you know, things like sports and, and concerts and the theater, um, uh, in-person gatherings for worship, um, gatherings for learning, gatherings for serving our community, um, all of those things that we have lost, how are they isolating us from each other? Because all of these things, even though that we feel like they don't necessarily have like cosmic importance, they're not as important as, as, uh, as uh, our being healthy and our preserving uh, not only our lives, but the lives of our neighbors. But these are also occasions when people who might see the world differently have common experiences that bind them to each other. And so if and when things go back to normal, after we have been separated and disconnected from each other for so long, will we even remember what normal looks like or feels like? And at the same time that all of this is happening, we have felt the heat of racial injustice burning as hot uh, as it has in our country in a generation. And we have a deepening ideological divide, this deepening divide about even what is true or what is factual, um, about what we see happening around us in the world. Uh, and we have no idea what that's going to mean in November or what it's going to mean after November has come and gone. And so those things are happening on top of a global pandemic. And we really have no idea how this is affecting us because we don't have a frame of reference for that. We don't have an experience of this to compare it to. Uh, one day you wake up and you can barely get out of bed. The next day you wake up and you clean out all the closets. Uh, and so what should we reasonably expect from ourselves? Uh, when, am I, when am I being lazy and I need to push myself and, and get over it? Or when am I just doing my best with a lingering sense of existential dread that always seems to be at my elbow? The Israelites... Uh, maybe have gotten a rep reputation. Uh, they do a lot of murmuring, the scriptures say. They do a lot of, of talking about what's not right, what's not going right. Um, but they're not exactly complaining here in the wilderness. It would be easy uh, to categorize it that way unless you stop to consider what it would be like to journey across the desert with all your belongings and no water. They wake up every day and they are not sure what the next day's journey is going to hold. Um, all of um, the expectation and routine have disappeared. Uh, you and I, we wake up in, in normal times and we, um, we need just enough uh, similarity to the day before for, for us to not be terrified, to, for us to not go through the day afraid. We need a little adventure, but not so much that we don't know what is coming. But the Israelites have no idea, and maybe right now the same is true for us, we have no idea what today's news will bring. And it seems ridiculous to think that, for them to think that they had it better in Egypt, they had it better when they were in bondage, but we have to remember that their trauma has not really ended. It's only shifted. They shifted from one way of, of, of undergoing trauma under Pharaoh in Egypt, and they are amidst, in the midst of a new one, actually. And now they're without all the tools that they had developed for themselves for staying and for enduring 
the old trauma under Pharaoh. It's a totally different experience. Um, and I'm not an expert here. I'm not a mental health expert. We have some in our congregation, and um, I hope I'm not talking out of turn, but it seems to me that when your frame of reference, a, a sense of normalcy, a sense of routine um, is gone, when you lose the rhythms of your life that bring you depth and meaning, like the Israelites do, uh, you also lose some of the tools you have for understanding who you are in the world. You lose some of the things that, that anchor your own identity, that give you reference points for understanding who you are and how you relate to other people. And this is a hard road to walk when you don't know how, how to measure your own emotion, how to measure your own feelings, how to measure your relationship with another person. And that road is filled with anxiousness and it's filled with confusion and it's filled with second guessing and sometimes spiritual paralysis. And there is pain and there is grief along that road. And so the question is, how do we cope with those things when they visit us in the midst of a wilderness journey that's not even over yet? Uh, and there are two things here that I want to lift up this morning, two things at least, uh, that are sustenance for us in our wilderness journey. And the first thing that we might draw is, is from the Israelites, even as we hear them crying out for what they need. It's true that the Israelites make all kinds of mistakes, and they are apt to complain. Uh, they worship the wrong things. Uh, they reach for easy solutions. Um, they struggle to trust God. They struggle to trust their leadership in Moses and Aaron. But what we can say for them, for the Israelites, is that they are not submissive people. They don't just give in. They have endured uh, a great deal. Uh, they don't simply accept their fate. All of the things that they endured in Egypt under Pharaoh, all of the things that Pharaoh was sure would rob them of their spirit, and it never does. Uh, they don't simply accept things as they are. They push back. They push back against Moses. They quarrel, it says, with God. They insist on what they need to survive. Look, we need water if we're going to make it through uh, today. And so the strength of the Israelites is their capacity to endure and not to endure in a passive way. We think of endurance as, as us staying static until the thing uh, that is testing us is over. But the Israelites endure in an active way. They endure in ways that acknowledge what it is they're struggling with. And this is a gift for people like us who are often afraid to say it out loud when we're not okay. We're doing a lot of things right now in our culture that aren't exactly helping us to get to the other side of this wilderness. Um, some folks have just decided that this is over and that they can go about their normal routines and that um, a mask isn't all that necessary and, and all of those things. And they, uh, that, that, that's not exactly helping us get to the other side of this. Um, but one of the other things that's not helping us uh, get to the other side of this is um, pretending that it's not affecting each of us in some way that is disorienting. Um, it's not, it's, we're not helping ourselves by not acknowledging that we miss community, uh, that we miss connection with each other, 
um, that we're missing some of the experiences that bring us joy and remind us of God's presence, that some of the things that keep us going and keep us motivated and keep us moving and keep us serving and keep us believing, some of those things that, that were there for us before are not there right now. And we feel that loss. Uh, this is not complaining. At least not, it's, not, it's not always complaining. Sometimes it's complaining, but not always. Sometimes it's just quarreling with the wilderness. Recognizing that often it's in the struggle that we rediscover who we are when wilderness has taken away our sense of who we are. The second gift, I think, for, for wilderness people is a reminder of who God is. That God is a God who makes a way out of no way, who brings life out of lifeless situations. We have the ultimate sign of life uh, in our passage when Moses strikes the rock and water flows. I was reading this week um, some of the um, <clears throat> science around. We, we all know that there's uh, uh, that human beings can go without a lot of things, but we can't go without water. And I was uh, reading it, try, uh, someone trying to break down the time estimate of what it would have been like for the Israelites and uh, estimating the temperature and um, the day's clothing and uh, what it would have been like to journey through that particular time and what the temperature would have been and, and how much water you would have lost and, and like how long they, uh, they may have lasted without water. And, and uh, this uh, author arrived at the notion that maybe they couldn't even go one day actually uh, without water uh, on this journey and water uh, throughout scripture is this profound symbol of life. We need it. Um, life cannot exist without it, but it's also uh, a symbol of renewal. Water is a uh, symbol. Uh, when we go through the waters of baptism, that we can be uh, reborn, that we can be a uh, new creation in God's sight, um, that <clears throat> whatever uh, weaknesses or failures that there are in us um, can be washed away by the renewal of our baptism. There is also the sense in the beginning of creation. It says that uh, in the beginning, uh, the breath of God, the Ruach, hovered over the chaos of the deep. Water is often a symbol of chaos uh, in scripture. And from that chaotic water comes the order of creation and the creation story. And so we hear about God's power to bring order out of chaos. We see it again in the New Testament when uh, there are storms that arise and Jesus is walking on the water toward the disciples or Jesus is able to calm the storm uh, that threatens to overwhelm them about God's ability to bring uh, peace out of chaos. And here in this passage, God brings life out of what seems to be a lifeless moment. God makes a way out of no way. The people of Israel have learned this once and they learn it over and over and over again. When they, when they met the Red Sea and there seemed to be no way, literally no way forward in the Red Sea part of it, they learned that God is one who makes a way out of no way. When they were waking up hungry and they didn't have enough to eat, they look around and see manna and quail and realize that God makes a way out of no way. And here in the wilderness, for the second time now, they have missed water to sustain them. And God has nourished them in the midst of this wilderness moment. And so <clears throat> I would encourage you to 
um, to remember these two things that we glean from our passage this morning. One being that, um, that sometimes we are called to quarrel with the wilderness. That enduring does not necessarily mean accepting, but trying to wrestle out of this wilderness time what might be meaningful to us. And the, and the second thing is to look for signs of life. To look for the places where God is giving us grace to sustain ourselves, even when we feel sometimes exhausted and as if we can't go any further, there are small glimpses of things that, that happen. I'll share one this morning that happened for me during our Sunday school hour as we were breaking out in our, um, in our different Sunday school rooms. Um, I ended up with uh, Alina Pripp. Uh, in the in the youth room, and it was just Alina and I, and we were chatting about uh, what she's been drawing and what she's been reading, and um, all of the things that have been giving her joy in life this summer. Uh, and it was a moment that filled my cup as well—a moment of life when the wilderness is, is so hard, when it's so hard for us to be apart from each other. Uh, to have that moment of connection is a moment where. Uh, I felt the presence of God making a way out of no way. So I would encourage you to look, to look around you and see uh, the God that we serve, who makes a way out of no way, even in wilderness times, uh, to remember that God is present to us. And that even in moments when all seemed like darkness, on that Friday when, when the world was covered in darkness and the, and the, and the uh, curtain, the temple was torn in two and, and everything appeared uh, so dark and hopeless that yet there was at work our God who makes a way out of no way, who brings new life uh, from death. Amen.